Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And this is Storymakers Show. And today on Storymakers, we're going to answer some listener questions. Actually, one listener question. I one do, listener, one question. I do want to say that in addition to your being able to send in your questions to questions at storymakershow.com, we also do have some guests scheduled coming up. So if you're getting tired of Q&A, know we're going to shake that up a bit. Excellent. So let's start with what you're working on. Well, I am excited, actually, um, I'll, even though I've, I've stumbled a little bit. So, you know, I was doing, I am doing a sort of NaNoWriMo uh, blurt out blurt out draft of this new novel. And, um, and you know, I love structure. So I'm, I'm kind of, but I also often do NaNoWriMo and do kind of these sort of exploratory drafts. So... And the thing that I always say to my students is, if you want to be more efficient, you have to do what you do, make your mistakes, take all your detours sooner and faster, but not try to skip over them, right? So I'm trying to like take my own advice there. So I've been doing this, but um, then I was sick over the weekend and I, um, I just sort of fell behind. So I've been looking, and I also have written about 70 pages now, and what I'm realizing is that I write, even when it's not first thing in the morning that I write, and I do sometimes do this writing first thing in the morning, but when I write even, you know, in the in the library in the late afternoon, I kind of go into a dream state where, um, where I'm just letting it come, and, you know, w- there's a little bit of a meditative practice to it because something will come, and then immediately a little voice will say, like, oh, you can't do that, or that's not okay, or that's weird, or where's that going to go, or how's that going to work, and then I, I ignore it because I'm in this kind of deep mode of, like, just following the voice, putting it down, quantity over quality, and all of that, so I have to sort of trust that voice and go. So it's So I'm in this very, like, intuitive associative dream state. What that means is that when I come out of it, I don't have like a super clear conscious sense of what's going on. I feel like that a lot. <laughs> In those pages. Oh, okay. <laughs> but you know, it's like if I like if I, I can sit here and I have like a lot of images, almost like little dream memory fragments. I mean, I do know what's going on, but I've almost like deliberately kept it away from my conscious mind. And my conscious mind is over here going, do you want my help a little bit here? Because you are going to just make this big mess, right? And so... And, and the and the answer is sort of yes and no. Yes, I want your help, and and yes, I need to make the mess. Um, so I, I was thinking of Carolina de Robertas, who we interviewed um, some time ago, and I'll put the episode link in the show notes. And she had a sort of, I believe it was an Excel sheet, and she would sort of make notes on what she'd written that day, like what, what mm-hmm. scenes she'd written and what she'd gotten accomplished. And I know that Ellen Sussman does... Um, like a like revision notes as she goes, right? So she's super into like, she's not planning, but she's, you know, but now we've like, she asks herself what's going to happen next. And she, um, and, and then she makes notes about what's happening and what she might change and all of that. So I need that component. I need to, even if I'm doing it after the fact, I need to track mm-hmm. what is happening so that I can go in and move forward Um from the right place, even if where I go is unexpected or takes me somewhere I didn't plan. 
Yeah, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. You know, it actually puts me in mind of conversations we have about those combined skills that we start. We start with uh, unconscious incompetence, right? You don't know how to drive. <laughs> Conscious competence. Not only you don't know how to drive, you don't even know you like want to know how to drive. You need right. to know, right? Uh, then you have your conscious competence. Con- wait, it goes so con- unconscious incompetence. You don't know what you yeah. don't know. Then conscious just incompetence, where you right. suddenly are aware, like, oh my god, I don't know how to do this. Yes. And then conscious competence, competence. where you're super self conscious, but you are doing it. But you're like, wait, so turn, put the turn signal on, right? Swing. Yeah. And then unconscious. Competence. competence and it, it's interesting because really what that's speaking to actually is bundled skills and so when you so what do you mean bundled skills well when you're driving you are paying attention to the things around you you are paying attention if you're driving a stick you know what gear are you in accelerator clutch brake uh you're looking at your speed you're having a conversation on your phone did you know that it narrows your vision when you're talking on the phone and driving, so there's mm. you actually have tunnel vision not only during the call but for several minutes after the call. So don't drive <laughs> don't, and talk on the phone. Don't drive and talk. So, and that is fascinating, but and terrifying. Um, not what I was talking bundled about. Bundled skills. <laughs> so writing is also a bundled skill, and while we may never get to a place where we feel that unconscious competence, there are actually aspects of writing that become that. So as Mm -hmm. you talk about Ellen and her work and talking about the questions that she asks herself, you know, those are skills she's gained over years. Mm -hmm. And she didn't know at the beginning that those were questions necessarily that she would have, I mean, I don't know Ellen process well enough to speak to it, but that that as we grow as writers over time, there are things that we bundle and stop thinking about. And I think that's one of the things that's super hard about teaching writing. Mm-hmm. So, Or even answering questions about writing process. Sometimes I feel like writers are just, it's an entirely fictional report. Like, oh, well, this is what I do. And right. there's so many, like, it's like, oh, you forget like 10 drafts when you sort of tell a story about how you wrote a book or a story. Right. And, and so I just, I think it's interesting as, as we look at our own processes, as we're developing skills and integrating skills. And I think over the course of your life, you're probably bundling more and more skills together into your writing process over time. Right. Um, but, you know, you think about like the difference between working with someone who is a student driver, that's their job. I mean, They're teaching teaching student teachers. drivers, right? <laughs> um, I don't think they pay you to be just be a lifelong student driver. No. But you have someone who's a teacher of yeah. student drivers, and that's their job. And they have a framework that has been lifted from the actual process. And it's pretty concrete. And if you were to hand that to someone later on, they may not know if they do any of the things on the list, right? You know, you're supposed to be looking at the mirror, the rear view mirror, the side mirrors, and where your hands are, all those things. And yet we need somebody who's going to excavate those processes for us and help us get good enough at those different processes to be able to be a functional driver. And I just feel like learning writing, when we when we talk about like, oh, the simplification of formula or the simplification of uh, these different writing ideas, uh, you know, 
doesn't respect the complexity of the job. And it absolutely doesn't. But at the same time, if you're entering it, those are opaque. Those skills that you're developing are not clear. So being able to look at the fundamental building blocks in isolation actually allows you to bundle them more effectively. I also, that's, that's great. And I think one of the things I was thinking about that practice that I have of ignoring that little voice that says, you know, you can't do that. You can't say that. What if that's not okay? And and just being like, okay, uh, then I'll fix it later, right? And that is su- like one of the most important skills. And yet it's something that I think is rarely articulated, right? It is something you have to learn and then actually relearn because there are other times I'll let it bounce me off in some other direction, right? It's easy to listen to that voice. I often I do say to my students, the little voice in your head that's critical of your writing that doesn't actually know anything about writing. So my quick question is, what are you working on? <laughs> so I'm writing this damn book. And um, I did get up and write, you know, 800 words this morning. Um, I think that my the, the NaNoWriMo goal of 1667 um is maybe not my ideal goal. So I'm trying to find a rhythm. Like I think maybe a thousand words a day would be more ideal for me. Um, and then what I'm also going to do this week is go back and list out what are the scenes and who are the characters and what are their backstories. Just do a little bit of that like rational work overlay so that, and maybe do some structure planning with you about, about it. And I'm also doing tons of research because there's some logistical stuff I don't know. And so I'm reading about kind of these worlds and learning a lot and immersing myself in some sort of terrifying, bumming the rest of us out. (laughs) I'm like, this is so fascinating about people and disasters. (laughs) And the kids and I are like, you know, huddled in the corner (laughs) with a knife and a torch. (laughs) Yeah. What are you working on? Well, as I mentioned last week, I am, you know, filling the well, filling the well. And ironically, I am in a place that might normally be something that is taking my focus away from filling the well. I'm doing a lot of support for our You're school right now. You're doing a huge amount of work on like three different fronts. And at the same time, I just want to say that it's allowing me to really see and pay attention to things it's you know I work so much alone and so being in a work environment again is like that kind of group environment is very exciting and the other piece about it is there's the different little pieces about you know because we're at a school and because I know so many of the parents looking at the kids and you know seeing the parents and the kids in a particular way. And it's not like a genetic thing. It's actually that With an, group dynamic. And, and let's just say there isn't a genetic connection implied between parent and child. Right. Necessarily. But, but what I'm saying is it's actually that group, di- that's sort of my point, like that group dynamic of, you know, when when we are a tiny community of a family, you know, and thinking about that. So I've, it's, it's just been really interesting to sort of look at. And um, I think, you know, I have never implied that. Oh, I wasn't child, suggesting. Yeah, you. I was just I was just building on your. OK, your nuance. Um, so. So anyway, just looking at seeing the way children interact, the way the things that uh, impact them. And gosh, you think, oh, we're in a small town and there's not really, you know, much going on and. And how the surface of a community looks one way, but the real and I mean, there's a hundred kids at our kids' school, right? But there's some stuff happening 
for a lot of different people. And yet the surface looks, you know, one way. And mm-hmm. um, this is the and, stuff of story. Right. And it, the fact that there's even people in the community who don't know other things, right? So right. you assume Silence. you've got six people in your class. Like, you should know what ha- is happening for everybody. And the fact is we don't. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that I'm looking at about public and internal and, and mm-hmm. group dynamics and the individual. And so I do feel like while I'm doing this stuff, which wasn't like an artist's date in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> I am. More like a committee meeting. But I am being really fed. Mm-hmm. And, and. Yeah. I'm excited to see where that goes. I think that makes so much sense to me. I think this is your your wheelhouse. I actually think a lot of your early inspiration comes from sort of that school family community. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast with Tony Kushner about Angels in America, and he was saying, you know, oh, that one of the great, something came up, and he said, oh, it's one of the great, maybe the theme of, like, hum, humanity is, you know, how can we kind of, I don't know, understand and come to terms with the past without kind of getting caught there. I'm probably, I'm paraphrasing and probably missing something major about it. But, but what was funny to me was that's his great theme, right? And it's of course a a huge and resonant theme, but I think through, you know, we each have our own lens where we go, this is, this is the great theme, right? Our personal thematic. Though it did remind me of your saying that part of what's important about stakes is the past, right? You talked mm-hmm. last week about that, so I just I thought of that as well. Anyway, but let's move on to the question of this week. Our listener writes, as for podcasts, there are a lot of things I'd like to listen to the two of you opine on. I love that. Mm. <laughs> Because of your emphasis on the way stories work, I think it would be valuable to hear how non-traditional narratives work. Gone Girl comes to mind, but how do you take the narrative that is the seven steps and be successful at rearranging that narrative? Great question. Um, and I think the core of what you're, you actually have somewhat answered your own question, which is taking those seven steps and rearranging them. But how do you do that successfully? So, how you do that successfully depends on your goals. Well, first, to first, let's say so. Angie has these seven steps, and we'll run down them in a minute. But um, I don't personally. No, but Angie has adapted and adopted these seven steps as a way to build or to, to explore a story um, as part of your brainstorming process before and as and during your writing and revision, revision process. And um, you have always said that you 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 may come up with them in order or have a list of them in this order, but you may not, it may be that they are not presented in that order in the book at all. Mm-hmm. And some are, are more truncated sometimes and, and so on. So can you just quickly list the seven step? Sure. Ordinary world, which is sort of establishes what's going to change actually. The character flaw and the situation. The community, the, you know, you're just orienting your reader to the world or your viewer. Uh, there's the inciting incident, which then kind of destabilizes that world. All of this is really connected to, for me, when I think about generating story, all of it's very connected to the psychology of your character and what that core limiting belief you're wanting to explore is. And I think that's actually what is so, I don't know, special about your process and, and generative and effective. Well, thank you. Um, The idea, though, is that we have 
you could write a story with about a person and you know how do you actually isolate what aspect of the person's life that you're going to focus on for your big events i'll finish the seven steps but then i'll also just talk about um that limiting belief and how it actually um isn't you know I think a lot of times we we hear oh my character needs a flaw and so what I've done is made them 400 kinds of nasty <laughs> and that's not that's just muddy so, so we'll limiting talk about belief that. is maybe better language for that rather than flaw. but it has to you know we all have more than one limiting belief right. and so really what is it you're exploring in, in your work? this story in this story okay so right. first we have the ordinary world where with this character with a limiting belief and then the inciting incident throws them off balance right. sets them on this need to explore right game, act journey. one journey is is uh, act one decision. Yeah. So act. Sorry. Act one decision is the decision to engage in the in in the higher commitment level. Uh, the midpoint is, you know, often. You know, a lot of this is not my stuff. Just to say, like, yeah, I no, want to be like established that this is right. just what you use to teach, to dig into, to brainstorm character and story. Yes. So, the midpoint is that. Well, literally middle of the story, and it has sort of the new information. It it redirects the uh, stakes and the goals of your main character. And then there's a low point where holding on to that limiting belief has really driven this person into a place of isolation. And then coming out of that place of isolation, there is a... Um, self-reflective moment from which they come to understand the limiting belief and its impact on their life. Then there's the final battle. So now they have the information, but the final battle, or as I'm increasingly calling it, sort of a test of learning, mm, nice. the, that new information is challenged. Are you now able to um, do what you need to do to address the world and the problems you have. So you come out of the low point with, and you're like, aha, I now understand this. But understanding it is different than being able to act on it, being able to choose in that right. new right. 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 So, you know, a, a really concise way of saying it would be like the alcoholic who understands now the impact drinking has had, not just on themselves, but on their community, their family, whatever. And then is presented with the opportunity to get away with it. Mm-hmm. No one would know. What choice do they make? And that would be a test of learning. I know this this hurts too many people for me to mm-hmm. make this mistake, or I haven't overcome that. Mm-hmm. And so that's how you sort of define your tragedy versus drama or comedy. And then coming out of that, either they've succeeded or they've failed. And if they have succeeded, then they get all the rewards associated with it. And this is sort of a mirror image of the ordinary world. So the relationships so the, the, the that weren't working. Step is the new ordinary world. Right. It's the new ordinary world. And so, you know, in the ordinary world, if they had relationships that weren't working or there were, um, you know, financial problems. Consequences of the limiting belief. Consequences of the limiting belief are now, you know, even if they're not like tied up neatly and, and completed, we as the audience can see that the, the learning has been made and so they're headed in a direction of benefit. If they fail in that test of learning uh, and stick to their old ways of being, it's still a mirror, but it's like a, an inverse world. So whereas before you might have been on a rocky road with your partner, 
in the ordinary world. Yeah. Uh, now in the new ordinary world, because you failed that test of learning, you know, you are not only divorced, but you don't get to see your kids. <laughs> Right, so it's brutal. brutal. Yeah. So that's seven. Or you might be stuck where you were before, but now you know you could have done it differently, right. and you're and you're not going to ever change or whatever. Right, but it's not static in any case. That right. there's each of these has a, a, a dynamic to them, and that pushes the story forward. But would so, you would you say in the ordinary world things are are less stable than they are in the new ordinary world yes okay so those are the seven steps so those are the seven steps so with regard to how might you make something that is not that you know memento is a film that literally runs backwards right and you can actually see that you know you get to this other point where you see it's still a revelation. And that's one of the things about stories. Very often there's symmetry in it. And so you talk about, like I talk about this mirroring moments. I think it happens all the way through story. So you've got the far ends of mirroring. You've got the act one and the act three turning points. And those sort of mirror each other. So there are those different aspects. So there are a number of tools you can look at for how you might reorganize certain things. Um, and Again, each book, each film, each thing has its own uh, goal. So as you as a writer have a goal, right? So I've developed this story. You want to tell it out of order for a particular reason. So then you have to think about what is that reason. And another way to actually do this is uh, sometimes point of view is about um, that different uh, way of organizing the book. So it isn't so much that the, that the actions don't happen in order, but point of view limits the information the reader gets to such an extent that some of those actions are either interpreted or um, not shared at all, but interpreted differently or not shared mm -hmm. at all. So, which is all just to say, like anything else, there are a huge number of tools that you can use to create non-traditional um, non non models. And there's a wonderful book by Linda Aronson, who is a screenwriting guru, I guess, out of Australia. And she does a lot of work at the London Film Festival uh, teaching stuff there. But her, her book, 21st Century Screenplay, actually has a lot of sort of ways to look at how you could organize your content. Hmm. Um, but it always goes back to that goal. Right. And um, meaning like meaning what impact do you want to have on your audience? What 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 do you want this book to or movie to say that kind of thing? Yeah. So I don't think you can arbitrarily say, "Woo, this is great. Um, but what I what you can do is say, um, all right, this is about drugs. This is about people who are on drugs. And right. there may be <laughs> to say. You are, well, it's just funny because your example is like the alcoholic. And yes. <laughs> well, you know, I'm actually thinking of Requiem for a Dream, but also just the different pieces of how drugs might pull out chunks of narrative for your protagonist. Right. So there might be we could conceive of a story where what you're really wanting to do is convey information. I think Girl on a Train might actually use some of this, too. I didn't read it, but I've heard you talk about it where blackouts 
play a pivotal role mm-hmm. in how someone who is narrating a story understands right. the timeline. Right. So the unreliable narrator and the... But it's not just unreliable. It's like, okay, you still have those events and they actually are driving the rest of the world around this person. But you as an, a, a writer might want to strategically pull out some, some of that information. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why being really clear on your goals is super important. So can you give me an example? And I know we need to sort of wrap up, but... Um, this was supposed to be like the focus of our I know, I know, I know. <laughs> well, we can always do a part two, but um, but goals. So like, let's say with, with your film in progress lost in the middle, like, can you think about what your goal was for that? Yeah, I really wanted to... I feel very, very lucky to have the friends that I have from my youth. And I also know that there's ways in which I may have not continued to know them as well as I maybe once did. Mm-hmm. And how do I explore? I wanted to explore really the dynamic of a community, a small community that's known each other for a really long time, but how we might still hide things from each other uh, and still have those insecurities, all of those different pieces. So that was definitely something I wanted to explore. All right. And can you talk about the ways you used the seven steps and the ways you broke away from the seven steps? Well, I actually used the seven steps quite a bit. So I did a story development process for the group as a whole. So there's an inciting incident for the group. There's an inciting incident for each character. Um, And so, you know, without being fractal, I am developing each aspect of the story not in isolation, but in some respects, really focusing on those pieces. Movies are different in some ways because you know you then you get it into the editing, and there ends up being new information once you start and seeing you can, it. You move some of these points around. Yes, right? so, so I definitely move the points around, um, and it's hard to imagine when you write prose that you could just yank something out and moves it somewhere else. But, oh, I I disagree. Uh, and, and in fact, as you know, as I was with my last book. Uh, you know, the thing that I rearranged everything around one particular point being the midpoint where things kind of break. But then following that, she has this new revelation, which mm-hmm. you actually suggested. And I thought, aha, that's it. That's that is really turns out to be the major turning point of the middle. So the midpoint kind of moved itself mm-hmm. along because the break turned out to be not maybe as significant in terms of the dire- the next direction right. as the revelation. Yes. But, th- so. but those are still maybe smaller adjustments than what but, about cracking open the whole form or, you know. Well, I actually, you know, again, just as I think of these structure elements, one of the things they have baked into them is a, a shape of... Uh, you know, setting expectation, you know, unexpected outcome, that sort of thing. So when you're doing that, and the reason I go back to goals is because some people write books that are strictly intellectual and they're not really meant to engage you emotionally. They're not, I'm sorry, I've read some wildly boring books. Well, okay. That's not what we're, we're not (laughs) teaching anyone. We're going to offer a class next year in wildly boring books. Maybe we'll make it a theme (laughs) of Sonoma County Writers Camp. If you want to be boring, so no, I mean that, but the but you also you love quirky little books that maybe right. So the Hearing Trumpet, I have to say, is you know been one of my favorite books. I really Carrington. yeah. So Leona, Leonora, Leonora, um, Carrington. But you know, and that's a surrealist novel, right? And there are 
other books. You know, I loved East of Eden, which has, it's kind of like two books clumped into one. I love. Well, and I think I, well, I have gone into lots of books looking for the seven steps, you know, and, and I like things that are sort of meta or a little more, I don't know if experimental, but you know, um, and um, and they seem to me to use these seven mm-hmm. steps, you know, like like a scale or something, right? right? But in different and sometimes right. dissonant ways. And so, you know, I you know think about Cloud Atlas. I mean, all of these things are. Um, it's always going to be a combination for your reader of not just the structure, but the other thing you're using to create the effect. So, you know. For Cloud Atlas, for example, that is a very much like, oh, look, the book's torn in half, and here we go. And these are the different pieces moving in and out and of, of time and place and these stories that are associated with that um, book, that literal book that moves through this through that mm. novel. Mm. But, you know, again, point of view, looking at um, sort of, again, Memento has a very limited point of view as a film. Mm-hmm. So if you were outside, even if it was running forward or backward, you would have more information. So it isn't just the order of information, it's how do you control what your reader or your viewer experiences. Or your character, perhaps. Or your character. So I Well, clearly there's a lot more to say about this, so I appreciate our uh, intrepid and wise uh, letter writer, email writer, getting us started. And yes. um, we will we will continue to dig into uh, into this. But 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 it does sound like you know these are as as you always say these are brainstorming tools to use to explore rather than a strict formula by any means. Right, and they're a great way to make sure that you have big enough turning points, even if you're doing things in a different order. So. Yeah, fabulous. So it is time for Steal This. Amateur poets borrow, professional poets steal. What do we want to take from our wanderings and readings and make our own? Well, uh, this week for me, I'm reading the book Triggers. And so it's, it's, it's really about looking at your environment and how we respond to our environment and making some intentional choices about the triggers we want to set up for ourselves. So thinking about that writing process, that starting process, whatever it is, you know, there are certainly places where it's really hard for me to get started on something. Mm. And so for those kinds of things, having a trigger that, you know, part of the response then is to do the thing. So thinking about your writing space and uh, (laughs) thinking about your writing space, thinking about your kitchen, thinking about those different things. I mean, it sounds really funny, but the truth is, having things in a particular way you know for me i wake up i i look forward to the ritual of a cup of coffee because that moves me forward in a particular way not just because of the caffeine but because of the the ritual of it and so what are those those triggers that you can set up for yourself around um making your environment work for you because so much of our environment actually works against us yeah all right i love it well um i'm reading the unthinkable who survives when Dis- disaster strikes and why by Amanda Ripley. And, um, it's a nonfiction book about that. And, um, and it, one of the things it does, and actually, I think this is probably a, worth a whole podcast episode is it looks at kind of the reactions that people have in the face of disaster, which I think are really helpful for us to think about in terms of our characters. So that's it. That wraps up today's show rather speedily. And we hope you guys have a fabulous writing week and write us your questions. And oh, and go to SonomaCountyWritersCamp.com and sign up for the next free class that Ellen and I will be teaching by clicking on the free class uh, icon in the menu. Thanks. 